Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to the book that's name gives us the clearest indication that God is indeed a coffee drinker, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be in verse 19 this morning. Would you turn there with me? Would you stand as we read from God's Word this morning? It's Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Being in junior high is a magical time of life. There's some strange things that happen during that time, and some big changes that happen during that time as well. I can remember in fifth grade, sitting in a Sunday school class, and we were around a six-foot plastic table, and I looked across the table at that girl who sat over there, and I just thought, What on earth was God thinking when he made that? And I have a feeling she probably looked back and thought the same thing about me when she saw something like this. That's me. But something happened over the course of the next year. Something changed in me. And don't worry, it, didn't, it wasn't my, my good looks that changed. It wasn't my ferocious sense of style that changed. It was something that happened in my mind and in my eyes. The faces that were once just grotesque and bizarre all of a sudden had a strange appeal. And there was one face in particular that stood out from the rest. Would you like to see her? Melissa, you up for this? All right, here she is. She's in the pink there. And yes, that's me right behind her, trying to get as close as I could. Man, I liked that girl. I liked her a lot, and I think I thought about her just about as much as a sixth-grade boy could. I talked with her whenever I got the chance, and I even pulled like a leave it to beaver kind of move one day and put on way too much of my dad's cologne, and it was, it was not good. It was not good. You know, at 12 years old, I thought that, I really thought she might be the one. She might be the one. And this may come as a shock to you, but she wasn't. It didn't, it didn't last. You know, after a while, the, the feelings just, they, they weren't the same anymore. Uh, she never quite realized what a catch I was. And I just couldn't put out the vibe, you know, for, for that long. I, eventually, I had to move on. And over the next few years, there would be many different girls that I was attracted to. I even got up the courage to talk to a few of them. 
but none of them were quite right. Being in junior high, it can be a really fun time, a really exciting time, time of discovery, but there's also a time about it, there's also an aspect about it that can be very dangerous. There's, there are patterns of behavior that we can form that can be very, very harmful, and not just to your love life, but to your relationship with God and your relationship with God's people. See, I think we often look at relationships the same way that we look at restaurants. We're asking ourselves, how much is it going to cost me? Is this, is this a good value for me? Is it convenient? Is it fulfilling? Do I enjoy it? And how often can I eat here before getting sick of this? In case you didn't notice, all those questions are, well, they're about me. They're about me. I want to know if this is good for me. And if it's not, even if I've enjoyed it for many, many, many times and then get sick one time, well, I got to move on. The restaurant all of a sudden disappoints me and I'm quick to strap on those hockey skates and, I, and I, I'm out of there. The thing is, what's no big deal for us to do with a restaurant, it can be a really big deal if we practice that same type of behavior in our relationships, can't it? It can be so destructive. And yet even further and more is what impact it can have on the church. And this is what so many people do with church these days. There are millions of people all over the place trying to, just like trying to find the perfect restaurant or the perfect guy or the perfect girl, they're trying to find that perfect church. And they're going to church because they like the teaching, or they like the music, or the building, or the landscaping, or the coffee, or the donuts, or the people, or any number of other things. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with evaluating a church and trying to decide, is this the right place for me? And there are important things that you want to consider. But what I'm saying is, if those are the reasons that you go to church, then it's really only a matter of time before you become disappointed and discouraged and frustrated and you start looking for a better church. Maybe you stop going to church at all. Because the reality is, whether you're in a relationship or going to church for the wrong reasons, you inevitably find yourself unsatisfied and discontent. Did you know that 88% of kids raised in Christian homes do not continue to follow the Lord after they graduate from high school? And I've seen it time and time again with people both young and old who have stopped going to church. They walk away from church or maybe they've just failed to have a serious commitment with one church. And when they do so, inevitably, they do so to their spiritual peril. What I mean is that any relationship they they once seemed to have with God, it, it, it starts suffering. Church is important. 
And it's important that Christians think well about church. And that's why we're starting this series off this morning. We want to think about it. We will learn what God's Word says about it. We want to know the reasons we should be here and what we're supposed to do when we're here and what is our purpose as a church body. And this morning, we specifically want to ask ourselves, what is our place in the church? What is your place? What is my place in the church? And the big idea is simply this. Christians are not called to merely attend church. They are members of it. Let's get into it in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews 10, we're given a picture, a picture of how God intended life in the church to be, what it should look like, what's its purpose. And it's directly connected to what a Christian is. So what is a Christian? We learned in our study of Ephesians a few months ago, and we see it here in Hebrews also, that a Christian is someone who has had their relationship with God restored. The Bible calls that reconciliation. Ephesians 2.16 tells us that Christ reconciled us to God through the cross. In Ephesians 2.4 we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. A Christian is someone who's had their eyes open to the reality that as much as they would like to look at a mirror and see themselves and say, I'm okay, I'm morally good, I have everything I need to even become better than I am, or at least I, I'm good enough or have what it takes to become good enough. Even though they look in the mirror and they would love to say those things, they realize they just aren't. They aren't good enough. As hard as they've tried, as desperately as they've desired, they just can't measure up to God's perfect standard. A Christian is someone who has come to the end of those roads called self-righteousness and self-help and self-reliance, and they realize that they just, they just fall short. They can never measure up. They look at life and see that they've rebelled against God, that they've, they've gone and they've worshipped and loved other things than God. Things like a career, things like a family, things like a good reputation, maybe the good favor of some other God, of some other religion, or even doing any number of good things, given to charity, or going out and volunteering. A Christian is a person who's looked at all those things and they said, those things are just idols. They're just, they're things that I've looked to for hope. Things that I, that I thought was going to bring some type of meaning and maybe even some type of salvation. But instead, they just end up pointing me to the sad fact that I'm not the person that I should be. And not only that, none of them brought satisfaction. Actually, a Christian is a person who's realized that instead of saving and trusting in all those things, that just brought God's judgment. Because God is the one who's created me. God is the, the greatest being in existence. There is no one that should be worshipped but Him. And I've gone and I've invested myself in other things. And I've said, this is the most meaningful thing in my life. That just points to me and brings condemnation on me. 
Christian knows that they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Without God, without hope in the world. If someone asked a Christian, why should God let you into heaven? They should say, he shouldn't. He shouldn't let me in. I don't deserve to be there. This is not the place I belong. But because of God because of his great love for me in sending Jesus to the cross to take my place and pay for every single wrong that I've ever done, because I'm trusting Jesus, that he has met the righteous requirement of God's law for me, and he's removed God's wrath, God's anger toward me, because of that, I'm in. I'm in. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, I am in. The book of Hebrews, it reminds us again and again that Jesus is our only hope. That he perfectly fulfilled every single one of God's laws. That he lived a perfect life that we should have lived but weren't able to live. And not only that, he was the perfect once and for all sacrifice for our sin. We don't have to keep on making other sacrifices, doing penance, because Jesus, what he did was enough. Nothing more is needed. And what's more, he's our high priest. He goes before us to God the Father. And God says, they're guilty. And Jesus says, yes, they are. But I took their guilt upon myself and I paid for their guilt. Yes, they were filthy. But now they're clean. They're clean. So the writer of Hebrews, he can confidently say, therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, you have confidence to enter the holy places. Why? Because the blood of Jesus, it says. By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is, his, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of Jesus, you and I can draw near to God. Because of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, we should draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Our relationship with him, it was once broken, and it's restored. A Christian, first and foremost is a person who has been reconciled to God. But as we learned in our study of Ephesians, it doesn't end there. A Christian is also a person who has been reconciled to God's people. Notice Hebrews 10.19, the author addresses his readers in a way that indicates that there's a special relationship that exists between them, a special relationship that they have with each other. He writes, Therefore, brothers... And it would be totally right to translate this, therefore, brothers and sisters. This is a family that he's talking to. It's made up of many individuals, many different personalities, many different skin shades, many different gifts. And yet, together, they are a family. And that's what we learn in our study in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2.12. Remember, You were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Our sin has separated us from God, it severed our relationship with God, but it also severed our relationship with other people. We had fellowship with one another until we took God off the throne of our lives and we said, bump on over God, I'm going to put myself there. And when we do that, when we say, my life is all about me, and I'm not going to be all about God, that destroys our relationship with God, and it destroys our relationship with other people as well. That's why when we do premarital counseling, it's so essential. I actually had to have a conversation just recently with someone who came to me and said, I I want you to to marry me, but... um, I've I got to let you know, my fiancé is not a believer. And we had to have a hard conversation. Because if a marriage is going to really flourish, having Christ at the center in the, on the throne of both of those individuals' lives is essential. It's essential. If Christ isn't sitting there, if someone else or something else is sitting there in the throne of these individual lives, it is going to create a wedge in between them rather than be the glue that binds them together. We had severed our relationships with each other because we put self on the throne. But praise God. That what we had torn apart, Christ has brought back together. Ephesians tells us that the dividing wall of hostility, it's been torn down. People, especially Jews and Gentiles, they were far from each other. But Christ brought them near because he is our peace. He's the prince of peace, isn't he? He's the prince of peace. A Christian is someone who's been reconciled to God, but also someone who's been reconciled to God's people. Once they were isolated, once they were out on their own, but now Christ has made them a new nation, a new people. He's made them a new family. And just like when you're born into or you're adopted into a family, you're now a member of that family. So a Christian is a member of the church. And just as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, you're, God called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's also called you into fellowship with God's family. And not only are you brought into this family, you are a vital part. You're bound together with other Christians as body parts are bound together to form a whole human being. It would be insanity to say that you want to break away and go out onto your own, just as it would be insanity for your hand to cut itself off and say, I'm going to strike it out on my own. I don't need the rest of you, body. It doesn't work that way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, that I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the, hand, the, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. It's, it's inconceivable. If, if you read the New Testament through, it's inconceivable that someone could call themselves a Christian and not willingly be a part of the fellowship 
that is Christ's church. Church is not something that you and I attend. It's something you're part of. It's not a place. It's not a club. It's a people. It's a family that you've become a member of as you trusted in Christ. Now, some would say, yeah, 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 I, I get that. I get that. I understand that being a Christian makes me a part of God's family, his people, his universal church. That is all Christians everywhere. Yeah, I'm now part of this big special group. And one day, we're all going to be in heaven together. We're all going to be worshiping God. And it's all going to be hunky-dory. It's going to be wonderful. I get that. But show me in the Bible where it says I have to be a member of a local church. The Bible never mentions church membership. Does it? And it's true. The Bible doesn't mention membership in the context of the church. But remember, like we noted a couple weeks ago, the Bible also doesn't mention the word Trinity. That doesn't mean that it's not implicit. Let's look back at our passage in Hebrews. There's something we can gain here. As we read earlier in Hebrews 10.22, it said, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of Christ, because of what he has done, we can draw near to God with confidence. That is incredible. But then in verse 23 it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Notice that there's a call for Christians who have trusted in Christ to now hold fast to that trust. Not only are they to draw near, they're also to persevere. They're to persevere in their new faith that they have in Christ. See, trusting in Jesus, it's not a one-time thing. I can raise my hand in Sunday school and say that I've accepted Jesus, but if I'm not trusting in Jesus as my one and only hope after that, then my faith isn't real. Faith in Christ is meant to be an ongoing reality in my life. When we talked about living in a spiritual war zone during our study of Ephesians, we noted that faith in the gospel, that's essential. That's essential for a Christian survival. That faith is going to protect you. It's going to keep you. Each day we're bombarded with these fiery darts that come our way. They call into question the reality of our salvation. They call into question our assurance, our security in Christ. And then faith is our shield that reminds us where we stand and why we stand here. It's because of Jesus. It never was because of me. It never was about me. It never was my performance. So that, that stumble I just took just a few minutes ago, well, that doesn't disqualify me because my faith is in Christ. I'm holding on to my faith. And I know that my sin right there is covered under the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me even now. Faith is what keeps us persevering. We've got to have it because we're living in a spiritual war zone. We stumble and fall. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we rest in the assurance that Jesus gave you in John 10, 28, where he said, no one will snatch you out of my hand. 
faith in Christ, it's crucial for a Christian survival. We've got to hold fast to it if we're going to persevere. And so crucial is a Christian's perseverance that God has built into the Christian's existence a mechanism by which faith can be strengthened. And that mechanism is called the church. It's called the church. Look at verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right after telling us to hold fast to this hope of our confession, Hebrews addresses how we are to relate to one another. Who we are, what we're to do together as the church, that's foundational. It's fundamental to the Christian life. Living the Christian life was never meant to be just about me and Jesus. It was never meant to be that. We've been adopted into this family. Paul told us that in Ephesians 1. This is God's purpose before the foundation of the world that he planned to adopt us into this family. Life in Christ and life in the church, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Notice verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. Is he talking about meeting together with the universal church? Is he saying that you Christians, you are expected to meet regularly with all Christians everywhere, and don't you neglect it? That would be ludicrous, right? He's He's not asking us to do that. He's not telling us to do that. We're told in Revelation that there's going to come a day when we're going to be united with all these other believers from all time, and what a great and amazing day that's going to be. But that hasn't come yet. It'd be ridiculous. It'd be impossible to expect all Christians to continue to meet together. No, the call here in Hebrews is to live, it's to live in community with other believers, but you can't live in community with all believers everywhere. This is something that has to be lived out in the local church. Being a part of a local church is how Christians, they they live out the reality of what Christ has done in making them a part of this larger family. If I wanted to be a Boy Scout when I was growing up, I could put my name on the list. I would imagine that's you do something like that. And now you're a member of the Boy Scouts on paper. But my life as a scout, it has to be lived out within the context of a scout troop. Being a scout is directly connected to my participation, to my presence, to my involvement with the local troop. That's where my identity as a scout is affirmed. That's where I learn what it means to be a scout. That's where I begin to develop my scout skills and build relationships with fellow scouts. And yes, even help others scouts grow in their scoutiness. And it's it's the same with being a Christian and being a member of a local church. I like what what Mark Dever wrote, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C. Being united to Christ means being united to every Christian. Amen. But that universal union must be given a living, breathing existence in a local church. That's what we're talking about here. 
The local church is where the Christian life, it's lived out. It's where it's strengthened. It's where it gives strength to others. In the church, we encourage one another to hold fast to the confession we have of our hope. We do that as we consistently meet together. That's why it's so important that you are here that you come up and you strengthen me as you encourage me and ask me how I'm doing and I share with you that I'm having a hard week and you are pointing me and directing me to the hope I have in Christ, maybe even praying for me on the spot. You are vitally important to me as I am to you and you are to each other. It's where we strengthen each other in our faith. It's where we faithfully stand by one another during those tough times. It's where we remind each other of God's truth and where we serve each other and where we encourage each other and where we forgive one another. Notice in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Why do, we, why do we do this? Why let us do this? Why should this be a part of our lives? Well, it's all because of what Jesus did. All of this goes back to this transformational work that Christ has done in you. And then in verse 25, he says, encouraging one another. This is what Christians who have been saved and reconciled to God and reconciled to God's people, this is what they do. We're not here to fill a seat. We're part of the church so that we can pour Christ into others. When we step out of our cars and we step onto this campus, we respond to the God-given mission that he's given us with enthusiasm. And we say, yes, absolutely. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to walk into the courtyard, use your gifts and the truth that you hold so dear to encourage and stir one another up to live like Christ. Do you accept? Yes, absolutely I except I'm part of this people. I'm here for these people. This is my family, and I want each one here to flourish in their faith. And that's where church membership comes in. It's when a Christian says, I'm a part of the family of God. I can't be there for everyone. I can't be there for everyone in the world. But I can't be there for everyone in the United States. I, I can't be there for everyone in California. I can't be there for everyone in Orange County. I can't be there for everyone in Westminster. But I can be there for these people. I'm going to devote myself to building up this local representation of Christ's family. I'm going to do it Give my all, just like Christ gave his all for me. You see, church membership is not the same thing as being a part of a club. We don't come here so that we can get our name written on the book, signed on the dotted line, you are now a member. No, we're here because our names are written in the book. They are written in the book. When we trusted in Jesus, he wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. We were immediately united to him. And at the same time, we were united to his people. Our place here in the local church, that doesn't make us Christians. But it's one of the evidences. It's one of the evidences that shows that we are Christians. Because if I say I love Christ, then I've got to love the thing that he loves and that is his people, the church. If 
we love Jesus, we're called to love his people. We join the local church that we might commit ourselves to Christ's community, to his family. And all those commitments that the New Testament says we're to make to all these different Christians, like stirring one another up to love and encouraging one another, we specifically and formally make to each other in the context of the local church. We don't just show up and we don't just attend here. We say, no, 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 this is the place where I'm going to be. You can count on me. Sister, brother, I am here for you. We are a family and I'm going to stick it out. We are going to be here and we are going to become more Christ-like together, even if it kills us. And sometimes it feels like it might. That's what membership in the church is all about. Some might say, well, you know, I'm still not interested. I I don't want to be a member. And to that, I would just respond, why not? Why not? If you're in Christ and you're saying you want to be obedient to his commands, then why wouldn't you want to officially step up and say, I'm going to live out this Christian life with these people. I'm here for them. I'm going to be Christ to them. Christ was there for me. In that book, What is a Healthy Church? Mark Dever compares membership in the local church to the way that we're called to live out Christ's righteousness in our lives. So when we, when we put our trust in Christ, we're justified, right? We're declared righteous before God. That's, that's a new status that we have. We are washed clean, we are forgiven, we are righteous before him. All our sins are washed away. And at the same time, we're called to actually live out that righteousness in our lives, right? We live it out as we say no to ungodliness and we say yes to holiness. If someone calls themselves a Christian and yet refuses to live in a way that pleases God, if they don't have any desire to live a holy life, then we would probably wonder to ourselves whether or not that person is really, truly a Christian. Brother, you, you, you're telling me that you trust in Jesus, but this, is, this life of yours, it is not matching up. Something's not right here. And in the same way, when we trust in Jesus, we're made part of this universal church, this universal family, members of the family of God. At the same time, it's clear in Scripture that we're to be committed to a local group of Christians, the church. What's wrong if we don't want to do that? Dever writes, committing to a local body is the natural outcome. It confirms what Christ has done. If you have no interest in actually committing yourself to an actual group of gospel-believing, Bible-teaching Christians, this is tough, but he says, you might question whether you belong to the body of Christ at all. And he goes on to write, as we gather to worship God and exercise love and good deeds towards one another, we demonstrate in real life, you might say, the fact that God has reconciled us to himself and to one another. And someone still might say, well, I I don't want to get too committed. Because if I get too too committed, and Melissa and I have known these people who they're they're resisting going the step of of actually getting married. I don't want to get too committed because I've seen what happens when you get too committed and then you're going to hurt each other and then you're just going to break apart. It's going to explode. It's going to be all messy. I don't want to get too, too committed to the church because I might get hurt. 
That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Churches are places where people get hurt because churches are filled with sinful people that God is in the process of transforming and making more Christ-like. As we're transformed, we're, we're rubbing against one another. Sometimes we're bumping heads. There are times when it's not easy and times when it can even be very painful to be in a church. But what a testimony. What a testimony to the work that Christ has done inside of us. When we like Christ, we continue to stand by and put up with each other. When we forgive each other over and over and over again. When we even dare to go so far as to love these reforming sinners. It's evidence that God has done a work inside of us. There is Christ-likeness, at least the seeds of it, there that is allowing me to persevere in my faith and to persevere as a member of this body. When Christians stay committed to each other as church members, even during those difficult seasons, they show each other and they show a watching world what Christ has done inside of them, and it is spectacular. Spectacular. Christians are not called to merely attend church. They're they're members of it. This is what we've been born into. We're not here asking what's in it for me. We're here because this is the family that we've been adopted into. This is who I now belong to. And not only have I been reconciled to God, but I've been reconciled to God's people. And we live out that reality as we commit ourselves to other believers who are gathered together in this local church. And there we help one another to hold fast to the confession of faith that we have made. In the context of the local church, we build each other up in our faith. We encourage each other on. We pray for one another. We speak truth into one another. There are times when we have to come up to each other and put a hand on the shoulder and say, I think you need to think about the direction you're going because this does not seem to be in line with Christ-likeness. It's here that we proclaim the gospel as we actively live out Christ's forgiveness toward each other. What a beautiful thing it is, the local church. The Christian life, it's life in the church. That's what it is. As we celebrate that life that Christ has given us, we're now going to take communion.